Amen. Thank you, worship team. Uh, so in 1995, Gaylord Kambiambi was distributing uh, New Testaments in Zimbabwe uh, and uh, in one of the rural areas. And he got to this place where he saw that the headman was, uh, and, and, and he, he was offering this Bible to the headman. And uh, the headman just refused to take it. He said, I can't stand the word of God. And Gaylord asked, well, why? And he said, well, because it pollutes the people. It just makes them uh, just get all mixed up. Um, and Gaylord said, well, look, if you don't want to buy it, how about you just take it and uh, just give it to someone else if you don't want it. And the man said, look, the only way I'll take this thing is if you let me smoke the smoke, use them for to roll my smokes. Uh, and Gaylord said, fine, tell you what, if you read the page before you smoke it, then go ahead. <laughs> and so uh, Gaylord didn't think much about it anymore and and uh, he carried on passing out Bibles to various places. And, uh, and then in 1997, Gaylord returned to that rural area and had a convention in the, in the town nearby. And uh, he was preaching to the people about how important it was to have the Bible. Uh, he actually worked for the Bible Society. And he was uh, sh- sharing how, um, how important it was to give people the Bible. Now, the man that had smoked this, the... the <laughs> The pages of the New Testament was in the, con- in the congregation there, and Gaylord didn't realize it. And of course, at the end of the, the service, the man stood up and said, I, I want to say uh, a few words to Kambamge. And he said, you know, you don't recognize me today, but you met me two years ago, uh, and you gave me a Bible, and you said that I could, I could smoke the pages so long as I read them first. And well, you know, every day I read that page and then smoked it. And I smoked my way through Matthew and I smoked my way through Mark and I smoked my way through Luke. And when I got to John 3.16 and I read that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting light. And then the light dawned in my heart and I gave my heart to Jesus Christ and I I stopped smoking the New Testament. (laughs) And my life has been changed, and I now live for God. Amen. What a great story. Uh, I love that. The Bible actually says that as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to, to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, and so yield seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so my word that goes out from my word, mouth will not return to me empty. But it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I give it. Amen. God's word is powerful and effective. And it challenges us as people. Let's pray as we look into God's word. Father, we come before you today. And we thank you for your word. We thank you that it has the power to change lives. I thank you, Lord, for the power in my life that it has exhibited through the Holy Spirit changing me and making me a different person. I pray, Lord, that everyone uh, here today, listening through the internet, would be uh, challenged by your word today. Lord, I pray that you would help me to speak it in power and in truth so that it would impact our lives. Uh, Father, we just uh, pray that your Holy Spirit would be amongst us, feeding us as a shepherd feeds his sheep. 
For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week and next week, we're going to be looking at the, the passage of Scripture that I read uh, a few minutes ago, and, uh, and maybe even a third week. I'm not sure. Well, we'll see how it goes because there's so much to unpack here. But I'd like to just highlight the last two verses of the passage we've read. So, so it just highlights where we're going with this whole uh, sermon series. So notice that it says in verse 20, it says, Above all. This is the most important thing. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's kind of like, like, listen up, above all. Uh, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. The, prophet never had, the prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But the prophets, uh, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now this is verses, one of two verses in the scripture that uh, describes to us the doctrine of the inspiration of scripture. It's, it's really talking about how the Spirit caused the men to write the scriptures. Uh, and I believe uh, Peter is really speaking about the scriptures the whole way through this passage. Um, and it's so relevant for today. I mean, just check out uh, this next slide where... Uh, where I've highlighted the passage. You see that? Where it says, uh, talks about cleverly, uh, he says, we haven't followed cleverly devised stories. No. And then later on he says, no, but we, we are talking about something that's completely reliable. And I love this contrast that he has in this passage. Uh, cleverly devised stories or something completely reliable. And that's the great debate in our society about s- scriptures, isn't it? W- are they completely reliable or are they just a bunch of fables? I remember one day when I was working at Canwest Dairy uh, way back, oh man, a long time ago. <laughs> I can't remember how long ago it was. But my foreman, he asked me one day, he, he knew I was a Christian, and he asked me, Bill, do you, do you believe all those stories in the Bible? And I'm like, you know, real, I just said, yup. <laughs> Not a whole lot of sharing about Christ there. And he says, really? Like Moses, when he, when he made the water stand up on end so the Israelites could walk through it? You, you believe that? I'm like, yup. Okay, and that was the end of our conversation. So much for sharing Christ, eh? But, but a few weeks later, I got up the courage, and uh, I, I decided, because I believe that the Bible is something completely, rele- uh, completely reliable, and, and Gary, he believed that the Bible was really just cleverly devised stories. And so we are on a different opinion about this. So I decided to invite Gary to my church. We were hosting a, uh, a Christian athlete, and uh, he was going to share about Christ. And so I invited Gary to come, and he came. And uh, a few weeks later, he came again, and then he came again. And before long, he was attending church regularly and had become a Christian. And it's so exciting to see that, that when someone experiences the truth of the Bible for themselves, that it has power to impact the church. Now, there's lots of people outside the church that were like Gary France, who just go, ah, oh, it's just a bunch of fables. And can you, you really believe that? You've got to be kidding me. Um, but there's also people inside the church who struggle with the Bible. 
when they come to parts of the Bible that they don't like, they kind of like, ah, oh, no. I, I, and, and I've heard people in our own congregation just out and out say, oh, I, I don't really, I disagree with the Bible on that point. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. But you know what? It actually happens around the dinner table at my own house. <laughs> I have three young men, and we get into these discussions. And when, when we're reading through the Bible, at the, uh, you know, it was one thing when they were children and we were reading through the Bible. They just accepted it all. But now that they're adults, and we read through the Bible, and we get to a verse that, that says, you know, uh, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. She is to remain silent. And then my kids are like, what is, what is this talking about, Dad? You know, and they started accusing Paul of, uh, of, of being, uh, you know, uh, uh, a chauvinist. And they started accusing, you know, they're saying, well, this must have been just a special place or this is, a, you know, what is he talking about? And they, they, we have these lively discussions around the dinner table. Um, and, but basically, the question is, did Paul write that sentence under the authority and power and direction of the Holy Spirit? Yes or no? That's the question. And so we get talking, and even though these sometimes these young men want to dismiss it as, as something old-fashioned from a bygone era, uh, we're challenged. And, and they challenge one another about the truth of God's Word. And so parents, it's not enough for you to believe the Bible. You also need to understand why you believe your Bible. Because your kids are going to grow up just like mine did. And they're going to scoff at something in the Bible. And it's not going to be, you know, uh, they're not going to believe you just because you believe it. And it's not going to be enough just to say, well, my parents told me that I should believe the Bible. You need to know why you believe in the Bible so that you can pass that on to the next generation. The next generation is being indoctrinated by school, by culture, by Netflix and Google. And believe me, they will balk when they read that the Bible says God made them male and female. They will balk when the Bible says no fornicator or sexual immoral person will enter the kingdom of heaven. They will balk when the Bible teaches about a male leadership in the home and in the church. And so it's a vital question today. Is the Bible cleverly devised stories or something completely reliable? And so both inquirers from the outside and the skeptics from inside the church, uh, we need to answer this question. Is it cleverly devised stories or something completely reliable? One of the things that I discovered when I went to Bible college and seminary was that the Bible stands as a whole, as a unit, it's not just a bunch of little pieces that you can choose and, and, and pick and choose from. If it's telling the words of God, then it is the whole thing. If it's not, then it's just a pretty good advice from a long time ago. And we need to make a decision which they are. I remember that great, great preacher of, of yesteryear uh, who, who said, I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt or not believe it at all. Believe this book of God, every letter of it, or reject it. There's no logical standing place in between those two. Be satisfied with nothing less than faith that swims in the deeps of the divine revelation. A faith that paddles along the edge of the water is a poor faith. At best, it is little better than a dry land faith. 
And it's not good for much, according to Spurgeon. So my purpose is to bring about a conviction that the Bible is something completely reliable. So let's dig into our text this morning. And uh, start in verse 12. So I, always, I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside. And as the Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will, not, you will always be able to remember these things. I love this. He's saying, man, I, I'm living my life out, making every effort before my departure to, uh, to make sure that you understand these things. So he's actually writing the Bible knowing that he's going to leave. Uh, and he's doing everything he can to get the message out. Peter is a living testimony of Christ. Uh, but for us, we're actually a living testimony to the Bible. The Bible's impacted our life. And so I make it my ambition to help people to understand what the Bible has to say. Because I believe that it has the words of life. It has eternal life in it. Um, and so my desire is to allow the people from Eastgate Alliance Church to live under the direction and the power of the Holy Spirit and, and of, the, of the Bible. And so what about you? Is the Bible worth living your life for? I'm fully convinced that giving my life to teach the Word of God is the absolutely most vital thing I can possibly do. I don't want to live my life just for this lifetime. I don't want to just build houses. I want to build into people's lives the Word of God. I want my life to count for all eternity. And I love the fact that I have been able to share the faith with so many people and so many people led through the sinner's prayer and my belief is that they will be there in glory someday they are part of the eternal aspect of my life uh paul another author of the new testament says his life is being poured out like a drink offering these authors of the bible were not stuck in some ivory tower writing uh, lofty thoughts. No, they were real men who lived life among the people. Uh, they were in the trenches. They were working with the people. They were challenging the people. In fact, a lot of the writer, writings of the New Testament were written to churches to encourage the churches in the way they should think. Uh, and so that Peter seems to be quite aware that he's writing scripture here, or at least that he was writing uh, a guiding thing for the lives uh, after he passed away. And a couple of chapters later, in, ch in chapter 3, he writes about Paul's writing, uh, how Paul writes the scriptures. He says, Paul writes the same way in all his letters, speaking of them, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Did you catch that line? As they do to other scriptures. In saying this, Peter's acknowledging at this very early stage that the Pauline letters are actually scriptures. So clearly he had an understanding that the, what the apostles were writing was actually being considered scriptures. Though he doesn't say this about his own writing per se, uh, we do see many of the authors of the Bible uh, making up for that 
in saying very, very clearly that the Bible claims to be the Word of God. There's hundreds of passages in the Bible itself that say the Word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah or to to Ezekiel. The Word of the Lord came to uh, Isaiah uh, or thus saith the Lord. That actually phrase appears over 400 times in the Bible. So the Bible is very clear that it considers itself the very words of God. And God used dreams and visions and worked in human authors' minds and wills to cause them to write what His Spirit wanted them to say. I love uh, Hebrews chapter 1. It sums it up very well. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets in many times and in various ways. Absolutely true. They had visions, they had dreams, all kinds of different ways. And this process is described in 1 Timothy chapter 16. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. You see, all of the scripture, it's the whole thing. It's a package deal. Uh, It stands together. And Jesus himself was constantly talking about the scriptures. And he was saying that the scriptures would be fulfilled in his life. And on the screen, you can see that all of these different passages, just from the book of Matthew, where Jesus talks about the fact that he was fulfilling scripture. And he's always quoting the scriptures over and over again. And one time in John 10, verse 35, Jesus says, and the scriptures cannot be broken. What did he mean by that? He meant that the fact that the scriptures were inspired by God caused them to be um, completely true in every regard because they're the very words of God. You know, in, in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament. And he's quoting this part where it says, that For this reason a man will leave his father and mother uh, and cleave unto his wife. And he attributes that statement to God. But when you go back into the Old Testament and look at the actual passage, it's clearly not God speaking. It's the narrator speaking. But you see, Jesus equates the narrator with God because the Bible is is God's word to us. And so even though it was the narrator saying those words, Jesus still applies them to God. Finally, um, Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 18, For truly... I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Jesus had a high regard for the scriptures and he treated them with respect. Um, And so we understand from Jesus and, and from the scriptures themselves that the scriptures actually take on the characteristics of God. The scriptures actually become uh, unchanging, just like God is. They become uh, irrevocable, just like God is. And so let's go back to our passage at this point. It's interesting to look look through this passage where Peter is very aware that he is going to be persecuted for being a Christian. Peter actually... Uh, is giving up his life for the gospel. In in this passage, he says that as long as I live in the tent of this body, uh, he's going to be giving his his life. And he says, I know that I'm going to put it aside very soon because Jesus has made it clear to me. You see, Peter is aware 
that persecution is coming knocking on his door. He's aware that some of his fellow apostles have died for the faith. And he's setting it up that he's going to die for the faith as well. And if you look later on, it says, but we are eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter was an eyewitness. Peter was there from the very beginning when, when Jesus climbed into his boat and taught to the people and then told Peter to go out and catch some fish. And Peter says, oh, come on, Lord. We've been fishing all night. We're fishermen. We know how to fish. We can't catch any. And Jesus, you know, it's the wrong time. It's in the morning. Fish, fish can't be caught. Jesus says, throw the nets out of the boat. Peter does it. Peter catches this amazing pile of fish. And he says, get away from me, Jesus. I'm a sinful man. Go away. And right from then, Jesus calls him to fish for men. And Peter starts following Jesus. He's with Jesus all the times when he does miracles and raises people from the dead. Peter is with him all this time. Even sees Jesus transfigured. It's amazing. And so Peter is an eyewitness, as were Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. They're all eyewitnesses. They watched what Jesus did. Then they watched the Holy Spirit come on them, and they went out and preached the gospel to everyone. These were eyewitness accounts. Most of the Bible was written by by people who were eyewitnesses. Notable exception probably is Genesis. Um, But all the other books were written by the people that were actually experiencing uh, the action. Some of them were persecuted for that. I mean, Jeremiah was thrown down into a a muddy pit, uh, a well, and he's left there to rot. People threw down food to him, and he was felt like he was drowning in there. Terrible persecution, but he wouldn't let up his his proclaiming and his prophesying. And the apostles, same thing. Uh, now, somehow, you know, if, if the apostles, if they faked the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, they just were making up this cleverly devised story, do you think that they would, at the end of their lives, when faced with hanging, fiction, or stoning, or renounce, renounce what you know is not true, you would think that they would renounce but not a single one of the 12 apostles renounced Christ. They all believed in Christ. Uh, so here, Peter, the author of this book, he actually was crucified. You, you remember what Jesus told Peter? He said, verily, verily, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself. But when you are older, you will stretch out your hands And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And he was talking about Peter's death that he was going to glorify God with. And so Peter's arms were stretched out on on a cross. And then Peter requested, I can't die the same death as my Lord. Please crucify me upside down. This man was sealing his testimony with his own blood. But you know what? Peter wasn't the only one. There was, uh, you know, and, and we know from the historical accounts that, that uh, Peter was, was killed um, this way. Um, but Matthew was killed by a sword in Ethiopia. 
Mark was dragged around by horses all the way through, uh, through Alexandria until he was dead. Luke was hanged in Greece. John faced martyrdom when he was boiled in a huge, huge basin of boiling oil during the wave of persecution in Rome. Somehow he managed to live through that, and he ended up being uh, sentenced to the mines uh, of the prison island of Patmos. He's the only apostle that actually lived to, to a natural death. James the Just, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, he was thrown a hundred feet off the pinnacle of the temple. Uh, and when he, when he hit the bottom, he didn't die. And they beat him with clubs until he was dead. James the Greater, the sons of Zebedee, the fisherman, was beheaded in Jerusalem. Uh, the Roman officer who was guarding James and saw his testimony to Christ right to the very end decided, you know what? I want to believe too. And he knelt down beside James and said, I believe in Jesus Christ. Kill me too. And, they, and he was martyred there as well, right beside James. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Patmos. Thomas was stabbed with a, peer, a spear in India. Jude, the brother of James, was killed with arrows because he refused to deny uh, his faith in Christ. Barnabas was stoned to death in Cilicia. Philip was crucified. Paul was believed to have been tortured and beheaded by Emperor Nero in 1960, or in, sorry, in, in 67. Uh, wow. All of these men, all of these eyewitnesses who wrote about it in Scripture gave their lives for the thing that they believed. We did not follow cleverly devised stories. Amen. These men believed. John said, That is what was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you might have fellowship with us. It wasn't cleverly devised stories. They're just witnesses. They're witnessing what they had seen. Now let's go back to our passage in Second Peter. Verse 16 says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now he's He's kind of mixing two things together here. It's a little bit hard to follow. He's mixing this idea that Jesus is coming in the future. And this isn't just a story that, you know, we just made up that, oh, Jesus is going to come back. It's nice. It's not just a pie in the sky. Uh, no, he says, I've actually seen his glory. I've seen his coming glory. What well, the glory, the kind of glory that he's going to come in when he returns. I've already seen that. And you're like, what? What are you talking about, Peter? Well, it says, he says, he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. This is in uh, saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard that voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Basically, Peter's talking about the time that's found in Matthew when, when the disciples went up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus was transfigured into his glorious future glory. And they, they just accepted that message. Now, Muslims insist that the Bible's been corrupted. 
But they have absolutely no corroborating evidence of this. They just say that it was. It's been corrupted. Says who? When? Where? Uh, it says someone who, who lives 600 years after the events. I think I'd rather believe the men who actually witnessed it than the one who says, oh, I saw in a dream that it was different, that someone else was actually crucified. And we have to ask, well, when was it corrupted? Uh, and the thing is, if you say, well, this copy of the manuscript was corrupted, then there's always this one over here in a different city that would support that it wasn't corrupted. And that's the thing with the Bible. Right from the first century, it spread like wildfire. And there were so many copies of the Bible all over the world. And they all corroborate with each other. They all balance each other. So when could it possibly have been corrupted? It couldn't have been. It was diverse all through the world. And so almost all of the Bible scholars agree that the Bible was written in the first century. So if Jesus died in 30 uh, AD, that means there was in, within 70 years the entire Bible was written. And then the, the people were still alive that remembered Jesus. And they could have said, oh, hold it, this isn't right. That's not right. But you know what? Nowhere do we find anyone disputing what the Bible says. It, there's no literature that disputes it from that time. Oh, centuries later, we have people disputing it. But from that time, nobody. We don't have a, a single thing. But we do have actually the opposite. We have cooperating accounts. <clears throat> oh, man, can someone grab me a glass of water? Uh, drying up here. Um, Read this short passage about John the Baptist. John was called the Baptist, a good man, and commanded by the Jews to and commanded the, the Jews to exercise virtue, both as a righteousness towards one another, piety towards God, and so come to baptism. Herod, who feared the great influence of John had over the people, he sent a, John a prisoner out of Herod's suspicious temper to Marchius, the castle I mentioned before, and there he was put to death. Now, who do you think wrote that? Maybe Luke or Matthew or, or John or Paul? No, 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 no one biblical. This was, even though it reads, thank you, appreciate that. Even though this reads like it was taken right out of the New Testament, actually, it's a, it's a historian, Flavius jo Josephus, in the Antiquities of the Jews. He wrote these things. And he's just writing them like, well, this is just history. And so the, there's cooperation between the people who were living in the first century. They knew about these things. And so many people don't realize that there's a lot of information from Assyria and from, from the Babylonians and the Romans that all verify what the Bible says. The extra-biblical writings have helped corroborate the existence of 50-some persons from the Old Testament and more than 30 pe people written about in the New Testament. Cooperation. They've also verified certain details surrounding Jesus' life. Um, now, some, some critics say, say today that, oh, Jesus never even existed. What? Are you kidding me? He's probably the most obviously existing person that has ever lived. Uh, Bertrand Russell claimed 80 years ago that historically it is quite doubtful whether Christ even existed at all. And if he did, we don't know anything about him. 
Are you kidding me? <laughs> when, we, when someone claims that Jesus never existed, it, it's absurd. And it only demonstrates the critics' ignorance of the facts. Uh, and perhaps their willingness to overlook the facts. Uh, because there's good evidential, uh, evidential historical evidence outside the Bible that Jesus lived. More than 30 extra biblical sources mention him within 150 years of his life. 30 sources talking about Jesus. And they didn't just mention, they corroborated some of the details uh, about him. Even the Jewish Talmud says uh, that, that Jesus was, um, that Ishua was, was killed on the day of uh, the Sabbath, on the, on the uh, what is it again? On the Passover. Uh, So Josephus says, uh, at this time there was a wise man who was called Jesus. And his conduct was good and known to be virtuous. And many people from uh, among the Jews and other nations became his disciples. And Pilate condemned him to be crucified and die. And those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. They reported that he appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah concerning whom the prophets had recounted wonders. This is a non-Christian man. Uh, He's just like, well, perhaps, you know, perhaps this guy was the Messiah that was prophesied about. I mean, he obviously believed in supernatural things, but this was Josephus. He lived uh, in, in in the... in the uh, late part of the first century and into the second century. Uh, and he's quoted by Esabus in, uh, in the 260s. So Esabus is quoting back uh, to Josephus and saying, here's corroborating evidence. And so we have all of this evidence that shows that um, Jesus was, in fact, uh, alive. Um, and so there are other uh, other outside sources, including Tacticus, uh, Gaius, uh, Pithony the Younger, um, and even Bart Erdman, a, a modern scholar. I think he's still alive today. He says, with re- and, and Bart Erdman is definitely not a Christian. He's an atheist, and he's written a lot of criticism about the Bible. But this is what he says. He says, with respect to Jesus, we have numerous independent accounts of his life in sources lying beyond the Gospels and the writings of Paul. Sources that originated in Jesus' native tongue, Aramaic, and can be dated to within just a few years of his life. Historical sources like that are pretty astounding for an ancient figure of any kind. And the claim that Jesus simply was made up falters on every ground. Here's a avowed atheist who writes a lot against the scriptures, saying clearly Jesus was alive. Richard Dawkins, in his recent book, The God Delusion, talks of Jesus and qualified it with, if he existed. Hmm, maybe Richard ought to talk to Bart. Maybe Bertrand also should talk to Bart. Uh, These extra-biblical sources... Uh, corroborate the New Testament. Archaeologists have unearthed many things that corroborate uh, the the stories of of the Bible. Take the Great uh, Great Flood, for example. Uh, the Sumerians, the 
Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Hittites, the uh, Hindus, the Chinese, the Mexicans, the Algonquins and Hawaiians, they all have a story in, in their history of the great flood. Where did that come from? It corroborates the fact that there was a great flood. And the final thing I want to talk about today is the great influence of the Bible. The, the Bible has had greater influence on law, art, ethics, music, literature of the world, world civilization than any other book in history. Can you think of one that comes even close? Absolutely not. Christianity is set forth in the Bible is responsible for a disproportionately large number of humanitarian advances in the history of civilization, in education, medicine, law, uh, fine arts, uh, human rights, uh, even natural sciences. Christians are the ones who led the way. Uh, started more schools, uh, more hospitals, more uh, um, orphanages than anyone else. Uh, and many of the world's great leaders were Christians. Abraham Lincoln said, I believe the Bible is God's best gift ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. But for it, we could not know right from wrong. And then we have changed lives from St. Augustine to Martin Luther to Johnny Erickson Tata to David Wilkerson, uh, countless everyday men and women whose lives were transformed uh, unmistakably and forever by this book. Remember Gaylord Cambarambi? The story I told about the man who smoked his way through the Bible? His life was changed from re- by reading this book. Do you remember Gary France? The young man, he was in his 20s at the time. Uh, and I was a teen, I was, uh, maybe I was 20, I think. Uh, and I had invited him to come to church. And he gave his life t- to Christ. And, and I, he's the owner of this huge dairy equipment place now in Chilliwack. And I tried to look at him. I couldn't find a picture of him. In fact, I couldn't find much reference to him in his, in his, uh, in his business. But I did find him. He's the vice chair of the elders board at Chilliwack Alliance Church. <laughs> he's a life changed by the gospel. The man who said, oh, well, do you really believe all those stories in the Bible? He's now come to believe that it's absolutely true and absolutely noteworthy and he's living his life for Christ. And so, my friends, uh, next week we're going to talk some more about what qualifies the Bible to believe. And so we'll see you again then. At this time, I'm going to ask the worship team to come and uh, close our service with uh, uh, him.